Hello, and welcome to Ride the Omnibus. I'm your host, Ariel Basca, and today I'm speaking with director Elle Callahan about her film, Witch Hunt, currently at South by Southwest. I'm delighted to be able to talk to you, Elle, about your film. Yeah, thanks for having me. I wanted to start off the conversation a little bit with discussing some of your references that I absolutely adored in this film and the way that you use them so very cleverly in this narrative that's about marginalized communities in America. Mm -hmm. And I just wondered what for you was the thing that made you immediately pick up on Thelma and Louise and magic going together. (laughs) I just kind of wonder how that connection happened for you. Well, it kind of happened when I was writing the film. The script went through a lot of different iterations. And one version of it was actually a road, like a kind of road trip kind of movie. And I watched Thelma and Louise when I was working on that version of it. And I'd always loved that movie. And then when the script kind of shifted to be what it, the new plot that it is, in its final form, I, I just kind of couldn't really shake that love for Thelma and Louise and their friendship and everything that they overcame in that crazy ride that they have. And I thought that it kind of mirrored my character still, like they still had the heart of that movie in in their journey. So I just kept it in there because I, you know, it's just such a good movie, like, you know, uh, and Claire needed to go to the movies and then it, it just all worked out perfectly. Yeah. And I like to think that in that, in the witch hunt universe, if a movie like Thelma and Louise was playing, it would be, you know, censored by the anti-witch government (laughs) because what happens at the end? (laughs) Yeah. And it's a universe of casual misogyny all over Mm -hmm. the place and then not so casual misogyny as well. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, you also have all of the elements of ambiguity as well that that finale introduces which is wonderful Mm -hmm. i like open-ended endings Uh uh-huh so that my audience can imagine what they what they want to happen so how different was it as a road movie from what came to be pretty different i mean the characters were pretty much the same but it was just everything was on the move but I really love movies that take place in one central location, specifically like a cool house. And I eventually shifted back to that. There's just more you can do. I didn't want to use all of my budget on like 50 locations. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And that's Um, easy to do to blow your budget like that. And then how did you find the house that had the central walls or did Mm -hmm. you have to construct that? We built most of it. I mean, the house was um, a house that was built specifically for movie making. So it's actually not like a real house. Like it didn't have plumbing or like a kitchen or anything or a second floor. It was pretty much bare. And we went in there and built like a fake kitchen and put brought, brought all the furniture in and dressed it up to look like a real house. And then um, the second floor was actually at a different house in Los Angeles. We just shot it to make it look like it was the same same place, but the exteriors are the same shooting house as the downstairs. Yeah, it's on a big movie ranch north of LA. Oh my gosh. Yeah, they shot things like Annabelle there. They shot um, Westworld. It's just like a, it's a really cool place to go and make a movie. You're close to the city, but you, you feel like you're out like in the middle of nowhere. So it's kind of like a location shoot when you're not really on location. 
And I wanted to know also, how did you decide to incorporate this image of the three women in black who are empowering the three voiceless women from beyond the grave? Talking about marginalized communities and voiceless women, I really was interested in that imagery. Yeah, so those are the the three fates, and they're based on the Greek fates. Um, that's been kind of like if you've ever seen like Hercules. Have you seen that car- like cartoon Hercules? I'm actually a Latin teacher by training, so <laughs> <laughs> so you know who I'm talking about. Yeah, they um yeah. you know spin your lifeline and measure it and then cut it. And they, to me, in my lore for this film, the original three witches were those three fates. And so they kind of, since the in the witch community, they're dead, never leave them. Like every witch has a lifeline directly back to those three. And um, they are coming out in force because some characters in the movie may not be fully embracing their witchy lifelines. And the fates are also standing up for their ladies that have not been so fortunate in in their experiences in life. So yeah, girl, you know, just girls standing up for other girls. <laughs> yeah, no, and it's wonderful. Over the and centuries. it's so powerful. <laughs> it's so powerful when you see echoes of Witchfinder General and Monty Python in much darker terms, obviously. Yeah. There's another uh film at the at South by that went into full core and they had a whole section on Witchfinder General, which was fun to watch. Yeah, Kayla's film, Woodlands Dark and Days Bewitched, was just absolutely phenomenal. Mm-hmm. But in terms of your study of the folk horror, how do you feel that you connected the past to the present to the future with this film? How were you trying to do that? Well, I mean, I've always been big into folk horror. I've always wanted to do something with witches. And when I started doing all my research for making a movie about witchcraft, I was just kind of blown away by how in the past... Any woman who had any type of power, whether it be education or wealth or, you know, land, or if even if she just lived a long time, any kind of power, she was just called a witch and immediately prosecuted for that. And that was something so normal. You know, witch hunters, that was like a a normal job to have that the government would recognize. And um, it fascinated me. And so I thought, like, what if we brought that into modern day? How would that look in America? And Witch Hunt was born from that kind of curiosity. And there are so many sequences that play out in a very believable way. For example, the ducking stool scene in the school pool. First, you're thinking, okay, Monty Python, if she drowns, she's not a witch. (laughs) But then at the same time, the reactions of the girls immediately afterward reminds you of pretty much every teenage clique, except they're talking about the death of a classmate. Yeah. And also, if, if something becomes so normalized, like for them, it's a normal thing for every girl to have to go through a sink test where she has yeah. to go underwater and prove that she's not a witch. And there are certain safety precautions that they take so that the girls don't die. But at the end of the day, like they are subjecting all of these girls to this medieval torture. And it's been so normalized for them that when it goes awry and they realize how dangerous it actually is, it's very shocking. I was trying to echo, you know, how like some things in our society become normalized and we become desensitized to things. When in reality, if you were just to look at them um, for what they are, they're pretty gruesome. Mm -hmm. And I love the way that the turn happens. They're shocked and they're appalled, but then suddenly, oh no, it was her fault. Yeah. And because I just feel like we, 
like to blame women for a lot of things, you know, (laughs) Um, including women blaming women. Yes. And that is something that, you know, I saw a lot of growing up in film, a lot of like, especially with female friendships, like women were always so mean to each other when in my personal experience in life, that's not how women are. So I wanted to, you know, when I was thinking about writing a clique of teenage girls, like I wanted to kind of bring in the the old kind of stereotypes and then make sure that those were squashed by the end because um I just don't don't like that representation of female friendship when they aren't supporting each other. We are very impressionable at, at that age though. <laughs> I think it's also a wonderful form of representation of female relationships the way that they play out under the male gaze as well. And that it clearly delineates how you have to be subversive in that space. Mm-hmm. I wonder, though, too, when you were talking about in this film that you have these visions that the main character has, what was the thought with the visions that she's having of that burning from the beginning? Was that um, like a visitation from the other witches or? Yeah, pretty much. I was just cr- trying to um, have her, you know, be connected like they're all connected. And I, I personally feel very connected to every woman that I meet. I feel like there's a universal experience to being a woman. And so I was trying to kind of portray that with their ability to do magic. <laughs> and magic is such a beautiful through line, too, because it, it's very much rooted in their past, their present, and hopefully their future. Mm-hmm. And also just like historically, it's like anytime women, if they were smart, they would be, you know, it would be blamed like, oh, they're doing magic. It's like they couldn't be, you know, like if they were like folk healers, like they wouldn't be considered a doctor. They'd be considered a witch doctor. Like it was never, you know, so I feel like magic has been this term that has been used with women who are powerful. So I just want to take hold of that. And I just made it literal magic this time. (laughs) Yeah, it's wonderful. And then also is a way to comment on treatment of immigrants and other marginalized communities within there too. And the beauty of using the supernatural as the kind of force that connects all of this as a through line is just wonderful. Yeah, I was trying to make a movie that I would have wanted to see when I was younger and hopefully to better understand some things that are going on in our world, but like veiling it through entertainment, you know? Yeah. And where did the blue flowers come from? I just have to ask. Blue is the only color of rose that doesn't exist naturally. If you see a blue rose, it's either painted or dyed, or it's not actually blue. It might be like purple or like dark green or something. So I just, I've always liked the idea of blue roses being associated with magic because they're just not able to be created by our human means. And then throughout the film, the color blue basically then was associated with magic. So if you watch it, like the only characters that ever wear blue are the ones that can do magic and blue is never used in any other scenes unless there's something supernatural going on, which was kind of hard for my (laughs) costume designers and production designers, but we pulled it off. Wow, that would be hard for lighting design too. I yes, think. Yeah. yeah. And we use that in like certain lighting scenes, like wherever Fiona goes, there's a lot of blue light and um, it's like that. We're both wearing blue today. Maybe we're, we're witches. <laughs> hey, we're in the witch club. Yeah. Well, I want to thank you so very much for this film and for this interview. And 
I just want to say how much I appreciated your film and your time. And I am wishing you the very best of luck in getting distribution. Do you have more festival plans with this film? Maybe we're kind of waiting to see what the festival scene looks like just, you know, with the pandemic and we're seeing like which festivals are being only digital as well and which ones are going to physically have people there. We're just kind of, yeah, playing it by ear. Everything is quite up in the air this year, but I'm really hoping that it'll go to a few more and hopefully one that we can all see it in person, but, you know, safely. Although I was a big fan of the digital festival because more people could see it. So that's always a plus because as a filmmaker, you, you just hope that as many people as possible can enjoy your art. But I would like to get into a theater at some point soon. <laughs> I will keep my fingers crossed that that'll happen soon Mm -hmm. and we can all enjoy it as it was meant to be enjoyed. Thank you so much. Thank you. Have a wonderful day. You too. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening. And thank you for taking a moment right now to reflect with me on the history of the land you are listening on now. Whether you are stuck in traffic or sitting in your office chair, take the time to look up whose traditional lands you are on now and what treaties govern those territories. I record this podcast on the site of land stolen from the Manahoac people. I am grateful to work on this land, and I acknowledge that we need to protect and honor the history of the indigenous people from other tribal nations that have made innumerable contributions around the world. I share this in the hope that my listeners may join me in honoring our past, present, and future. Without this land, this earth, and each other, we are nothing. Before I go, please take 30 seconds now to leave us a five-star review by clicking on support the show in the show notes. We don't want your money. We want your words. A simple RTO rocks my socks expands our reach and helps us keep bringing you great content. And connect with us on Instagram and Twitter where we are at Omnibus Ride. You can also visit our website, omnibusride.com, where you can go to dive deeper into our content and learn more about the show. A special thank you to our amazing editor, William Das. We truly couldn't do what we do without him or Danielle. Be well, be safe, and keep in touch.